rock of ages. Let us turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and the verse 7. We read at the very end of that verse, and his chains fell off, and his chains fell off. So let us seek the Lord, and let's pray that we will hear God's voice speaking to us tonight. Father in heaven, we come into your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for the hiding place that we find in Christ alone. And as we consider your word tonight, we pray for your help. We pray for the enlightenment of the soul. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Last week, we thought about the ultimate out-of-jail-free card from Galatians chapter 3 and the verse 22. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Men and women are set free from their sin by the faith of Jesus Christ. Faith sets a man or a woman at liberty from their sin. But let's keep with this picture of being set free from prison this evening. And my mind was drawn to Peter. And I'm going to look at Peter in prison perhaps a little differently. We are told by the inspired historian, it is a very suggestive little phrase, his chains fell off. I say we're going to look at this a little differently, but actually, I believe this was what inspired Charles Wesley to write that particular verse in that wonderful hymn, And Can It Be? We didn't sing it tonight because we sang it last week. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. We can certainly see the picture there from Acts chapter 12. But let's get the historic picture first of all. Let's just get the context, because I'm going to be taking these words out of context. But you need to get the context first. These were tragic days for the church of Christ. Herod the king was on a rampage against Christians. In the previous persecution, Stephen had been martyred. The Christians were scattered. Some were imprisoned. But the leadership of the church remained intact. But this new satanic attack was aimed at the leadership of the church. And so James, the brother of John, was killed with the sword, we are told, in the verse 2. This was the first break in the company of the twelve, apart from the defection of Judas. That was a different matter. But of the twelve, James was the first now to die in service, for Judas was never a, a true follower of Christ. He was an apostate. 
There must have been heartbreak, mourning, weeping. You think of all that we read about the sons of Zebedee, the gospel record, their closeness with the Savior. We read of John's tenderness and the affection that he undoubtedly had for his brother. And in all probability, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. That was why he was targeted by Herod. Don't get confused by the fact that James is mentioned a little later on in the passage in verse 17. Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. That was the other James. Because later on in the book of Acts, we discover that the other James was the leader. So one James was replaced by another. God always has another to take up the mantle of the work. And that James was the James that wrote the epistle. The James who was, I believe, also a son of Mary, the mother of the Lord, and would have been a half-brother of the man, Christ Jesus. And so this James, the brother of John, was taken and he was martyred. He became a Christian martyr. And Herod saw that the Jews were pleased with what he did because the Jews, particularly the zealous Jews, were full of hatred towards Christianity and they, they viewed the followers of Jesus as being worthy of death. And so he took another of the leaders. He took Peter also. And Peter was detained in prison. Now, there was every expectation that Peter would meet the same fate as James. There was going to be a public execution. This was the season of Passover. The word Easter is mentioned. The only time Easter is mentioned in the Bible, and of course, Easter as a Christian festival is something that's dated much later, but its association with the time of the feast of the Passover is here mentioned. And of course, the Lord died at Passover time, and there is a sense here that Herod was going to have Peter executed publicly, just as the Lord was killed publicly. Peter was a high-security prisoner. Herod prized the fact that he had got a hold of this man, and so he delivered him to a select guard of 16 soldiers. You will see there in the verse 6 that he slept between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And you will see in verse 4 that he was delivered to four quaternions of soldiers. A quaternion of soldiers was four soldiers. He's delivered to four of those. Sixteen soldiers were entrusted with guarding one man. Sixteen soldiers to guard one man within a prison, a prison that was fairly secure itself. And so there were two at either side of Peter all the time. And there were two outside the door all the time. And round the clock, they had a watch. As one set of four soldiers left, there was another set to take over. And no one was going to fall asleep on duty. The prisoner had to be kept. And he was taken into the inner prison. He was taken to the most secure part of the prison. He was treated like some kind of dangerous criminal, dangerous to public safety. So here he was behind two or three locked doors. Here he was between two soldiers, with two soldiers outside the cell. He hardly needed chains, 
but still they chained him. They were going to take no risks with this prisoner. Even Harry Houdini could not have broken free from this situation. Peter was well and truly held fast and condemned to what it seemed was certain death. The end was coming for this great disciple of the Lord. So here Peter was, and this is a very amazing thing. In the verse 6, he slept between two soldiers. Could you have slept? Could I have slept? I don't think I could have slept. Spears pointing at him, swords at the ready, chained. Wasn't the most comfortable situation. But still he slept. That's God's grace. But we'll have another lesson from his sleeping. The night was dark and still. The only noise was the occasional rustling of the soldiers. When the guards were changed, the footsteps of the soldiers were heard as one set left, another set took over. And then there was the heavy breathing, perhaps even the snoring of Peter. But suddenly, without any sense of warning whatsoever, an angel of the Lord appeared in the cell. And in that dark place, light shone. The soldiers were absolutely oblivious to it. It was as if God had come and blinded their eyes. And they didn't even realize that they were blind. They thought they could see. They thought that all was normal, but all was far from normal. But Peter, too, was not aware of what had happened. In the verse 7, you will see that Peter had to be smoked on the side. The angel had to give Peter a dig in the ribs and say, Arise up quickly. You're going free today. And as Peter went to move, the chains fell off. They didn't need any particular tool, cutting device. They didn't need a, a lock picker to come and pick the locks. As he moved, the chains just fell off. And then the angel said, put on your clothes, put on your sandals. You're coming with me today. How are we going to get out of here? There's two soldiers outside. There's a locked door, and then there's another locked door, there's another locked door, there's the big gate, and the whole thing's guarded. How are we going to get out of here? He said, just follow me. Just you trust me. And Peter was mesmerized. He thought it was a dream. He thought, this can't be happening. I'm still sleeping. And so he was led through the prison, past the first ward, past the second ward in verse 10. And then they came to the iron gate that led onto the city streets. And as they came to the iron gate, the big gate just opened. Whatever locks were holding that gate, it just fell away. And onward they went, out into the street. They were never stopped. No one attempted to stop them. It seemed as if no one realized what was happening. The high-security prisoner was suddenly a free man in the street. And as he looked around, the angel had gone. His work was done. Peter was now free. Where was he going to go? He would go to where God's people were praying for him. He knew that God's people would be praying and calling unto God for him, and they would be at the home of Mary, 
the mother of John Mark, who is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And many people were praying. The interesting thing about this prayer meeting is that the people didn't even realize, nor did they believe, that God would answer prayer. They prayed, but as far as they were concerned, Peter was a dead man, but still they prayed. And sometimes we're like that. We pray with unbelief. When Peter came and knocked at the door and the little damsel wrote him back and said, it's Peter, they said, no, 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 it can't be, you're mad. Oh, you've seen his ghost or something. It's not Peter, it can't be Peter. And then when they saw Peter, they were absolutely astonished. God answers prayer. God answers prayer even though our prayers might seem to be unbelieving prayers, even though we cannot fully comprehend what God can and will do, yet God answers those kinds of prayers because there's no problem too big for prayer and there's no problem too terrible that God can't solve. And so, on that level, there is an incredible lesson for us all as Christians. Never give up praying, even though you might feel yourself to have an unbelieving heart. Even though you feel yourself to be praying for something that you hardly believe it could ever be answered, just you keep praying. Because God answered this prayer. But Scripture can be viewed on many levels. There are many facets to Scripture. And this story has great illustration value where the gospel is concerned as Charles Wesley recognized. And so Peter here was a believer. He was an apostle. He was a disciple of the Lord. He was a preacher of the gospel. And he was in prison, and God set him free, and God delivered him. So Peter was a Christian man at this time. But I want us to think of Peter tonight as an illustration of the sinner being bound in a cell, being chained to sin, but being converted and set free. I'm going to think about that tonight because I think there's a great illustration of the power of God and how that power is used in the salvation of souls. His chains fell off. And the first thing we're going to notice here is the confinement of the sinner. We see Peter here and he is confined. And this reminds me of something, that the sinner is confined in his and her sin. And you tonight are not on a literal prison cell, but yet you're in a place of confinement. Not only that, but you are well and truly chained. And you're chained to your sin. The reason why you will not come to Christ and trust Him as your Savior tonight is because sin has a power over you. It has a delusional power. It has a power that has absolutely and completely captivated your mind and your soul, so much so that you can think of nothing else but your sin. And that's why you will not come to Christ. Peter here had the power of the chains, but he had the power of Herod, represented by these soldiers. And not only do you have the the power of the chains of your own sin and your own heart, but There is the power of Satan. He's the God of this world. He has blinded you. He is known as the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this world, according to the apostle Paul. And whenever a person is saved, they are moved from the power of Satan unto God. 
and you tonight are under the very power and dominion of Satan. Therefore, you're not a Christian. But this cell was a place of darkness. And you're in a place of darkness. The most awful darkness of all is the darkness of the mind and of the heart. Although you're sitting in a gospel service, you're in a prison cell. You're in a dark, dark place in your soul. That's the confinement of the sinner. Let's think of the condemnation. Peter was a condemned man here. He was waiting for the day of execution. As the Americans would say, he was on death row. You today are condemned. The psalmist said that God is angry with the wicked every day. The anger of God. The anger of God is not an emotional anger. We think of anger, we think of someone losing it, saying things and doing things that are just beyond all logic because their emotions have caused them to lose control. But that's not the anger of God. The anger of God is the anger of the law. The anger of the law is a very controlled thing. It's a very deliberate thing. It's a very logical thing. It's a very powerful thing. It's a very fearful thing. God is angry with the wicked every day because the wicked have broken his law. And wickedness is about what's in our hearts and our souls. And there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And we're all gone out of the way. We're all together become unprofitable. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, God is angry with the unrepentant sinner every day. As you said in the gospel meeting tonight, God is angry with you. As you came to the meeting, God was angry with you. As you went about your affairs over the course of this past week, there was never a moment when God was not angry with you. Because you have not turned from your sin. Because you're holding on to your sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 3, He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned by God already. The sinner is literally in death row, waiting for the day of execution. Of course, when a criminal is in death row in the States, there's always the opportunity, not only for a stay of execution, but for deliverance. And the lawyers are constantly going through the law and going through the case, looking for a reason whereby the person will be set free. And the very fact that the day of execution has not come, even though you are condemned, that is proof of God's grace, giving you time for repentance. It's still you have time. And still he has given you another gospel meeting tonight. But that does not take away from the fact that you are condemned. And any time, in any moment, God can say now, this is the day you'll meet with me. You think of that. Peter was unconcerned. He was able to sleep. And does that not teach me that sinners sleep in their sin without a thought of eternity? It's a dreadful thing to go through life from day to day 
knowing that on that very day, the day you're waking up, could be the day you meet with God. And yet you're not concerned. You just carry on as if somehow it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's the most serious thing in the world. It is appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Condemned by God. Let's also think of the cry for Peter. As Peter was lying in this prison, people were praying for him. The verse 12 tells us that many were gathered together praying. He knew that this was the case. Why did they pray? Because they cared. Why did they take time to gather in the home of John Mark's mother? Why did they have this prayer meeting? Because they cared. They cared for their beloved Peter. And people are praying for you. And you know that people are praying for you. And before the gospel service tonight, we had a prayer meeting. People were praying that souls might be saved in the meeting tonight. Whenever we have our prayer meeting midweek, we pray that souls will be saved. There's never a prayer meeting in this church when we do not pray that souls will be saved. It is a sign that Christians care for your soul when people pray that you might be saved. That is a great privilege if people pray for you. I thank God there were people that prayed for me before I came to Christ. There's not a Christian in this house who cannot say that nobody prayed for me. You can think of the people who prayed for your soul. What a wonderful, thrilling thing it is that there are those that hold unto God for the souls of the lost. You're being prayed for. And God hears those prayers. But then we have the call, the call to the sinner. Peter was delivered, not because of some clever escaped strategy, but because God intervened in this situation. The angel of the Lord came suddenly in the verse 7, and the light shone in the prison. And that's what grace is. Grace is the intervention of God in the life of a sinner. There's nothing we can do to save our own souls. There's no prayer that you can offer that'll save your soul. There's no work that you can do that can make you right in the sight of God. Some people will not come to Christ because they think that somehow they have to get things sorted out before they can be a Christian. You get everything you like sorted out, and it'll still not be sorted out. There's no sorting out for you to do. It's what God does, and it's what God does alone. That's the amazing grace we're talking about. God came into this cell, but still Peter had to be wakened up. You sit under the ministry of God's Word. Unless God literally touches your heart, you'll still not be saved. Except the light comes into your soul, you'll still not be saved. It's a work of grace alone. 
Whenever you trust Christ for salvation, you're trusting that grace that alone can save you. You're renouncing all your own abilities, all your own energies, all your own plans, all your own schemes. You're renouncing your life and turning away from it, and you're saying, my life up to now has been wasted. I must come to Christ, and only Christ can save me. That's true faith. It's grace alone. God intervened. God intervenes in so many ways. It was a very spectacular day when God intervened in Peter's imprisonment. God comes to some people in a very quiet way. For example, when the apostle Paul came to Philippi, he came to Lydia. God came to Lydia. She was with a company of good women, seeking to do their best. And they were gathering for prayer, but they weren't Christians. But then the Lord opened her heart. There was nothing spectacular about it. It was just the simple prizing open of her heart. And suddenly, she was a Christian. But in the very same city, there was a, a prison officer, the keeper of the prison, the man who managed the prison. He was a rough, hard, tough man. He was a man who beat the prisoners. The prisoners were under his care. He could have killed them if he wished. He was a man whom you wouldn't trifle with. The last person in the world, perhaps, whom you would have expected to become a Christian. And yet, on that night when Paul and Silas were in prison, and the earthquake came, and the chains fell off, and the doors they opened up, that man was placed at wit's end. Because if the prisoners had have escaped, he would have been dead, executed. He was going to fall on his own sword, and Paul stopped him. That man had an earthquake. An earthquake not only physically. An earthquake in his heart and his soul. He thought the end of his life had come. He was placed in despair. And that was God speaking. God sometimes comes through the earthquake. He comes through sickness. He comes through bereavement. He comes through tragedy. Sometimes he comes in that quiet way. However he comes, you must hear that voice speaking to your heart and to your soul, arise up quickly. That's what Peter was told to do. And so we have the conversion of the sinner here. Rise up quickly. Peter had to do what he was told. You see, the gospel, yes, it's about what God does for us, but it's also about what God tells us to do. There is the command of the gospel. Repent and be converted for the remission of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the jailer of Philippi was told, and thou shalt be saved. Faith and repentance. There is the trusting of Christ and there is the turning from sin. The trusting of Christ alone, that's faith. The turning from sin, that's repentance. You cannot have your sin and have Christ at the one time. There must be a change, a transformation of your life. If you are to become a child of God, God forbid it that the day should ever come when this pulpit will preach a gospel without repentance, for that's no gospel at all. A gospel that does not talk about the condemnation that sin deserves, for that's no gospel at all. The Word must be preached in its fullness if Christ is to be presented. There is a need to do what God demands. And Peter was told to put his coat on 
put his shoes on to follow the angel, that he might be brought into freedom. And so it is for the sinner. And God commands you to trust him. And God commands you to follow him. And God commands you to give your life to him. And God commands you to be his disciple and to do his bidding. Christianity isn't just about having a nice label, oh, I'm a Christian. It's about being dedicated to Jesus Christ. Peter had the very shoes on his feet that he might do the following. And God tells you to put the gospel shoes on your feet that you might have a different kind of life, a life of following Jesus. Peter was brought to a place where he knew that he was delivered. At times he thought, is it true? Can I really be delivered? He was pinching his skin. He was wondering, is it really so? And then he came out into the street and he realized it is so. As he moved, the chains fell off. It was only as he moved, the chains fell off. That was the first part. The doors were open. The guards were left behind. And then eventually, it all came together. That's how God works in the life of a man or a woman when they come to Christ. He gives them assurance. He gives them sure and certain knowledge that they are saved. And that knowledge is based in the Word of God itself. Where the Scripture says, Him that cometh unto me, I will never cast out the very bond of Christ Himself. And you can have that assurance and that peace tonight as the chains fall off. And He said, His course. Where did He go to? He went to the prayer meeting. He went to the prayer meeting. He went to the place of prayer. And when God saves you, He saves you to pray. One of the things he saves you for, one of the most important things. Someone once said that prayer is to the Christian what oxygen is to the lungs. And you know what happens if you have no oxygen? You don't breathe, you don't live. And the Christian doesn't live without prayer. And there is special help to be gained through the place of public prayer where God's people gather together. And I encourage all those that are saved to get out to the place of prayer. Because there we derive our spiritual oxygen. It's the best place for the person that's newly saved to be at. And it's the best place for us all to be. When the chains fall off, to be at the prayer meeting. But then there was the contentment. The contentment he had with all of the other sinners saved by grace. Because we are told that they were so happy, so content, astonished even with what God had done. Do you see that in verse 17? He beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. God had done something amazing. And the church was so happy because of what God had done. Oh, there's contentment. There's contentment in heaven when souls are saved. The very angels, they start singing. There's happiness on earth when souls are saved. There's nothing like it to see a newborn child of Christ, born of the Spirit, with life from above. You can have that experience tonight. The chains can fall off, but you've got to realize that there are chains. These soldiers didn't even know what was happening. The world at large will be oblivious to it. They won't care, nor will they be interested. 
But they don't matter. What matters is this. How is it with your soul? I pray that tonight the chains will fall off. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for thy word and for thy truth. We thank you for this remarkable gospel illustration of what it is to be converted. And we pray for the dear sinner tonight that the chains will fall off and that there will be those who will rise, go forth, and follow thee. For Christ's sake, amen. Let us sing this closing hymn. Whosoever heareth, shout, shout the sound. Send the blessed tidings all the world around. Spread the joy.